All right. Give me a test one two. Test one two. Testing testing one two. All right. Well, let's just go ahead and get started. All right, uh, welcome everybody. My name is Arlo Ironcloud. I'm here today with Fabian Kennedy, and Fabian works up here at the Oyate Center in Rapid City in Mani Luzaha. Mani Luzaha is a Lakota word for Rapid City, meaning Rapid Creek. So we uh, are up here because I just wanted to speak with Fabian because he's been a resident of Rapid City, he has family here, and he works at the Oyate Center, which is basically the heart of Lakota homes, and so there's all kinds of activities here, and I just wanted to sit down with him and talk with him for a few minutes, and Fabian, I uh, wanted to commend you on a few things. Uh, one of them, uh, I was very surprised when I first met you, You're, uh, you can speak Lakota. Just a little bit, not, people use the word fluent. Um, when I'm talking about Lakota, but that's kind of not uh, really what I would categorize it as, you know. I just know just a little bit. Yeah. So. Well, I know you can introduce yourselves, in introduce yourself in Lakota, and why don't you uh, give me your introduction? Oh, <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> oh. Ho metakiapi, Fabian Kennedy Amachapalo, Jamaica Amata, huh? Chante washte na napechi uzapalo. Ampetu washte, hihani washte, Lakota oyate. Hemielo, Fabian Kennedy. So, if you are a speaker, a Lakota speaker, he said he's from Jamaica. <laughs> 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 so, alright, so right off the bat, I gotta ask you, Fabian, how does somebody from Jamaica end up in Rapid City? and have an ability to speak some of the Lakota language. I mean, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I've got family on every continent except Australia. I don't know any relative that has ventured quite that far. And I have other relatives that are able to speak other languages as well. I have um, cousins that were born um, in uh, Curacao. And they could speak four different languages, so I'm not really that unique, and <laughs> and and my ability. And there's Jamaicans everywhere, from um, Canada to all different parts. I even had another cousin that I I never knew that um, was living here for a while in Sturgis, and I didn't realize that until I went home. And uh, my great grandmother's younger brother. Um, we call him uh, um, Uncle Masby, um, said, have you ever met my son who's over there? So I said, no. And it turns out that he was that bass guitar player with, from Zwarte. So here this whole time, here's two Jamaicans living in western South Dakota. We didn't know we're relatives. We're both from Jamaica, you know, um, Jamaican heritage. And... Uh, I never actually formally met him. I talked to him on the phone a couple times. I heard that uh, Zwarte was going to be playing at Sturgis several years back, so I ran over there, pushed through the crowds, tried to meet him. And then when I finally did get to see the band, they said, oh, he's not playing with us this time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. So you popped up over at Sturgis just to get, uh, see if you can run into your relatives, but couldn't, couldn't find him, huh? No. 
Oh. So, I was, uh, I mean, you know, you, you, you end up here in Rapid City, and uh, you still really haven't kind of got to the, how you ended up <laughs> in Rapid City. I, I, you said you're from Jamaica. Those of you that don't know where Jamaica is, it's a Caribbean island in um, in Central America, right? Basically, or in, in the Caribbean, how would you how would you explain it, that? It's 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 just south of Cuba. You know, Cuba is is um, um, below Florida, and so Jamaica is actually in between um, Cuba, and on the other side is the island of Hispaniola. Which, if you're not familiar, it's um, the island that houses the countries of Dominican Republic on one side and Haiti on the other side. So Jamaica's kind of in between that. So in in the Caribbean, we have this real flavor of of, of different cultures that um, have synchronized over over time, that blends a lot of native traditions, African traditions, and and the 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 Western European traditions. How I actually came to South Dakota, um, I did a, a college tour. It's, it's a long story, <laughs> but I, I did a college tour. And um, for those of you who are um, maybe thinking about going to um, higher education, I wasn't quite too sure how I was going to do in college because um, in elementary school, I kind of struggled. Middle school, I struggled. High school, I did a little bit better, but I wasn't entirely too sure how I was going to do. So I, I was able to um, visit Temple University and Rutgers, some of those bigger universities. And, and that really intimidated me because I wasn't the kind of person that could really fare well in an institution like that, where you're really just a number. Um, I sat in one... Um, biology class at Temple and there was like 300 students in there and the professor you could barely see him and he's kind of like reading out of the book and you could right off the bat tell that his whole um, reason for being there is to do his research and teaching was only like the last thing that he wanted to do (laughs) so because he wasn't too enthusiastic so I, I knew right off the bat that if I actually went into a school like that, I might struggle. So I shared that information with the guidance counselors. I kind of let them know that I, 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 I wanted to, to go come to a, a, a university that um, would be a little bit more personal. And then from the map, I actually in the, in the guidance counselor's office, there's a, there was this huge uh, wall-sized map of the United States. And it had all the universities um, around the country. And so I pretty much picked Black Hill State University from that map. And I'll tell you, it's the best decision I ever made because um, I think, you know, not a plug for Black Hill State, but um, they really did a really good job in providing a lot of tutelage to me um, in my undergraduate um, uh, life and as well as supporting me and, and helping to get me exposed to, to what I could expect after. Um, so how did you make that decision, though? I mean, you, you're looking at a map, and somebody who's from Jamaica, you're looking at a, a map, and basically you see South Dakota, and then you see Black Hill State University. I mean, what, well, what I, drew you to that? Well, I grew up on the East Coast, 
Mm-hmm. I grew up in 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 a, a town called Willingboro, New Jersey. Um, I went to school in Delran, New Jersey. I'm at a Catholic uh, high school, Holy Cross. And so, you know, I there's I guess there was just a few things at play, you know, and um, one of the things that that kind of also drew me to I guess the Lakota Nation was um, I did some reading you know back in high school too and I I really was contemplating this whole issue of uh, colonization <laughs> you know I, even really? in high school even in high school I I, I, I I couldn't quite articulate my feelings on it or or understand what it was doing to us as a people but I think the the benefit for people that come from another place and that actually might live in another place is that we're we're not really invested anywhere. So I grew up in New Jersey. Um, I love where I, I grew up, but I wasn't culturally invested. Um, as well as the fact that I did not grow up in in Jamaica, so I, I wasn't hundred percent Jamaican Jamaican either so one of the things that I, I, I did notice were, were the, that that we I guess some of the some of the cult you know the things that we take for granted you know like going to church and some of the things that we we, we do um, I began to realize you know, why are we doing some of these things you know and um, and where did they come from? Some of the the traditions, the contemporary traditions, the behaviors, um, I began to connect them with colonization, mm-hmm. and so um, I knew something wasn't right, and so I, I had heard that there was a resistance here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but I didn't really know very much about it, and so that did um, play a factor um, in in me choosing coming to Black Hill State. Although it was just all of these different pieces, I, I kind of wanted to um, to learn about another culture um, that was maybe not so um, Western. However, what I found was completely different than i guess what i expected yeah being somebody who's from a a a country that quite literally is so immersed with so many different cultures and not really knowing exactly you know your heritage the roots of your heritage and having to grow up uh, on the on the east coast that's that that you just kind of lead it into my next question is because you're so concerned about decolonization and what it what it would take for somebody to be sovereign you know you're you're leading I'm curious to what you thought about how how people view themselves as sovereign and what 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 you get what you got whenever you saw or what you didn't get whenever you when you, whenever you were looking into sovereignty well, you know, um, I guess when I came here, I, I, I realized, in, and sometimes you have to, in order to really see what's going on with yourself, you kind of have to, 
to, to leave your comfort zone. And so one of the things that I, I realized was that um, a, a lot of the cultural teachings were intact in, in our family, um, especially growing up. Even though I grew up on the East Coast, we pretty much kept to ourselves. A lot of Jamaicans on the East Coast, whether they're, they're in New Jersey, but especially the ones in New York, because for the most part, um, um, people from Jamaica migrated here around the 70s. That's, that was when uh, a lot of folks started coming. Um, but we kept in our own enclaves. For example, I have cousins that have never even been to Jamaica and have really thick Jamaican accents. I was gonna say, <laughs> what happened to yours? Well, well, I've been. I, well, I, I haven't. I haven't really lived in one of those enclaves. Oh, really? Um, but I, I grew up in a, in a, in a very multi-ethnic enclave, you know, um, community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have cousins um, that grew up in like Flatbush or other places like that, where it's it's, you know, your neighbor is 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 from the um the parish you know um next door in in jamaica but you know one of the things that is i think the highest jamaican value is self-reliance and on on autonomy and in jamaica there's a saying self-reliance is the highest zion that means it's the it's the the highest value highest characteristic to have and um and that's it's it's really I guess something that um, those of us who have who come from communities that have been colonized we, we need to think about we need to struggle with and we need to un, um, come up with our own definitions of, of of what that looks like not just for our families but for the community and for the nation you know for our nations as well hmm. you know I like that self reliance is the highest Zion yes. yeah I um. You know, it's funny as my my very first CD I ever purchased was, well, I mean, everybody loves Bob Marley. <laughs> everybody loves Bob Marley. Well, my first CD or my first uh, album that I ever purchased was uh, Bob Marley CD. And that was because of my dad. And he was a huge follower in Bob Marley. And he also um, introduced concepts like Zion and the the spiritual journeys that people take and what was really neat is because I, I I started to take a look into some of the things that that uh, people in Jamaica what I found out were that they were a very spiritual people mm-hmm. highly spiritual and and what I was what I really appreciated is that how it really tied into Mother Earth and how it talked about how all the energies in life and it, it's it's a really amazing really really amazing concept and when you really think about it you get begin to realize that indigenous cultures are really a lot more connected than people realize yes and and you know there's certain things that you take for granted about your own family and about your own culture and so um, it took me coming here and, and learning about that whole concept of Tioshpai to realize that I actually have a, a really good, t- I come from a very good family, extended family. You know, um, last fall, when I couldn't, I was supposed to go on a, a week-long trip, I couldn't find a babysitter. Of course, you know, you don't want to leave your kids with just anyone. So my uncle flew all the way from New Jersey 
to to come here and 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 sit with my kids while I was gone and that's kind of how it was growing up too like I could go into his house you know his, he's older than my mom he's my mom's brother but he's always been a constant you know in 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 my family and his uh two daughters as a matter of fact his older daughter Andrine is close to my age she's just a little younger than me and so even before my other siblings came around it was me and her so we kind of grew up like brother and sister and so you know it, but you don't put a name on on some of those concepts um all the time sometimes it's just it's there you don't really uh, you're not really able to articulate it and so it really took me coming out here to to really even appreciate the fact that you know i i come from a, a very good family um a family that that cares and loves and supports one another and really exemplifies what i think a tioshpai a functioning tioshpai should really look like you know i'm a little curious to one uh, i want to know if because like you said um you you carry a lot of uh heritage and culture with you from where you where you're from is it is it is it does it helpful to find those you know something like a concept like wawakwala you know you coming in and you finding out that you know one of the virtues that we hold dearly is to be humble mm. and do you find that like um does it like re- what what sort of as you enter a Lakota community, what sort of values did you uh, relate to? The, I mean, I'm I'm. It's really surprising that you mentioned Wawakwala, um, because when you look at some of those, you know, the traditional uh, unchis and lalas, and you know how they are, and you know, caring and loving and giving and always giving. Um, you know those those kind of things they they make you think because maybe those of us that are a little younger you know it, it's it's hard for us to really have that kind of heart like how they have you know what I'm talking about yeah, it's yeah. that 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 love for the community and and even for me I you know I came here when I was 18 years old and so you know I came here with you know just the clothes on my back and the shoes on my feet you know and and so there was there's been times where um well i came here as a child for the most part i was 18 but that's still yeah that's still pretty young yeah and so i i think that was fortunate because um people saw me as a child they didn't see me as an adult when i first got here so i think people were really willing to take me underneath their wing and and be nice and feed me and (laughs) take me around so perhaps if i came here now in my 30s it wouldn't be like that because i'd see a big grown man but yeah but that was you know but those values um and and just the the humility of people and 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 those are, are really important to me and i i really believe in and trying my best to to emulate those as, as you know as, as good as like i could never at least I feel like I could never have that heart like some of those unchis and la-la's that you see. Mm-hmm. But at least that's something, you know, it's a goal. Right. <laughs> something to look forward to. Ab- yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I actually was not from here either. 
and so whenever but I come from a culture that's very similar to to the the, the one here in or Pine Ridge and and um the the communities around here and I one of the things that I I ran into cuz where I grew up was deep in the res of New Mexico and the family was held tight and one of the things that really struck me it just hit me it, it was so odd was that a lot of the families were there was there was several families in one I guess hmm. like there was um, kids who had parents that were not living together and there were kids that didn't know their parents that were living with their grandmothers and there were kids that didn't know who their fathers were and for me that was that was very confusing because I grew up in my, my family down south so we all of the the families were pretty much intact and the other thing was is that we had a very strong connection with my grandfather and my grandmother my down south we call them uh, Shamasan and Doa you know that those are our were our kind of like the core I mean because it's it's just like um um the Lakota culture and the Dene culture are both maternal both maternal cultures and so uh, when I grew up in, inside my mom's mom's culture, that was one of the things that uh, I really noticed, and that it was very strong to to have a family that you know know who where they came from and know know every every end of their family. And so when it came to my father's culture, I mean, I knew who I was. I mean, I knew I was for a long time. I called myself Sue, but when I got here. I began to realize I'm I'm not Sioux, I'm Oglala Lakota. Hmm. And that was one of the things that uh, always struck me is like you begin to realize that there's still people here that still haven't made that connection, but because of noticing that difference, you are able to make a stronger connection there. So I guess one of the what are some of the things that you noticed whenever you came into the Lakota communities? Well, you know, first first of all, I, I think when I first got here in '96, um, the the community was it was different than now. You know, I mean, in that in that time that I've been here, um, a lot of things have changed. You know, um, when I first got here, the language was was I think a lot more at the forefront. You know, and um, um, I'd go places and, and I'd hear people um, speaking um, a lot. And um, I, I don't know, even some of the things that people were discuss, discussing, you know, um, have changed over time too. But I think I noticed... Um, I noticed that folks really um, were trying to understand um, how that colonization has affected um, the 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 um, the society and the families, and and that's one thing that I, I really respect um, is just that desire to 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 really want to learn. 
um, the traditional values, the oral history, the culture, um, the songs. Of course, where we come from, and and Jamaicans and most folks from um, that are African descent in the Caribbean actually come from West Africa, including a lot of the African Americans um, were actually from West Africa. And of course we have a language and we have a culture and we have, you know, we were farmers. And so, um, I don't know how, how, to, how to say it, but I think um, oftentimes, you know, in this country we, we trade safety for, for our culture. Right. And, you know, even, even coming here, because I know a lot of people from the Caribbean and other places, they come from, from really um, hard environments. Um, but it's important that we don't trade safety for our, our soul. And so I'm not sure if I'm making yeah, too much sense. Yeah, elaborate on that a little bit. Well, you know, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, um, because of the position, I guess, that, that I, you know, my, my position in my own culture, I've seen a lot of um, individuals, friends, family, come to the U.S. and um, um, they do really well at first, you know, in terms of like that family structure. Um, but after a while, um, as they start to unconsciously absorb a lot of the American values, that um, um, cohesive gel that held that family together um, becomes challenged. And so it's really important, I think, for us to really understand what are those things in our culture um, that we do that actually holds our family together. And something as simple as like kinship terms and, and address using kinship terms and, and, and understanding how that family structure is, is not the same as the Western structure and maintaining that, you know, it goes a long way to, to really causing you to, to think about um, what that relative is and, and what their role is um, in, in your life. And when we start to throw those things away without really um, understanding um, what those things mean, I think it, it puts us at, at risk. And some of those um, protective factors that those values, like the kinship system, might have, is lost without our without our knowledge. I know for from from looking at um, a lot of the families that migrate from the Caribbean or Africa to to the U.S., the big thing is gender roles. And um, of course, um, at least it's from my perspective that um, here in the U.S., sort of the American dominant culture, you know, kind of tells us that we're independent. You know, and men are independent. You know, I should be able to go anywhere when I want to go. And same thing for the women; they they should be able to do anything when they want to do it. But a relationship, you know, is based on. Um, communication it's based on compromise is the big word and so um it it it, it becomes hard when you have a, a a culture that doesn't support that compromise 
And I think our traditional indigenous cultures did a lot better job in, in giving us um, direction um, in, in terms of understanding that uh, we must honor our wives and our wives must honor us right. and, and respect you know, each other. And, and there needs to be that in, in order for families, for couples to thrive and for families to maintain intact. Right. You know, one of the things that I thought of just now was one of the things that in, in, in Lakota culture is that a brother's sisters are basically the mothers of, the, of their children as well, too. And uh, sisters, uh, a mother's sisters are basically the children's moms all together. Like they're a collective unit of moms as well as the fathers. And I know, for example, my son takes a look at his aunties as though they're his mothers. And that's the way I was brought up as well, too. I looked at my, my own aunties as my mothers. It's an interesting concept because I think today, uh, for an example, for an example, a couple, I think it was a couple years ago, there was a young woman that was, uh, who <laughs> brought her brought her boy in and her boy brought we were we were at uh, in Walmart or Kmart I can't remember where it was but this kid was walking in there and he was just like grabbing people and yelling at people and just being a really you know really mm-hmm. she's a kid you know yeah. and, I would <laughs> and I stopped and I said hey you need to calm down kiddo look at your mom and then here he looks up at her and, and he's I said you need to listen to your mom and then here, I was expecting something like, thank you for doing that for my son. Ex- mm-hmm. Instead, I got, don't tell my son what to do. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, your child kind of acts a little crazy here, you know. And like, Come on. <laughs> well, I, I grew up, in, even, you know, where I grew up, it was commonplace for any adult to correct any child at any time. It, and so, you know, that's something that, is kind of new to me is 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 you see it out here with you know different kinds of people where they don't want you to interfere with their children but i i absolutely i i uh run an, a community center and so i absolutely will not um take that approach if if a child is acting naughty it doesn't matter whether it's here at the oyate center or if i see them doing something you know down the road believe me i'm gonna stop and I'm going to correct them. Um, I was a funny story along those lines is I was a, a social worker in um, a um, a low-income um, neighborhood in Washington D.C. I was that was my in, one of my internships, one of my many internships that I had to do um, in my master's program, and I was um, walking through the the um, um, apartment complex. Um, and I saw, must have been like three or four kids, and they were in their teens, like not too old, but like maybe 14, 15. And this must have been like at 11 o'clock in the morning. And they were, they had switchblades out, and they were doing graffiti on the, on the building. So I walked past them. Like first, when I first saw them, my my first instinct was 
kind of fear because they had knives out and everything. Right. So I walked past them, and my brain was doing this, you know, all I, the statistics. Like, I know what you're talking what, about. What is, what is the probability that these guys are, are, are violent? So I was doing all the statistics, <laughs> and somehow in my mind, it, it must have came, okay, low probability. So I was like halfway up the steps, I did a U-turn, came back down, and I said, aren't you boys supposed to be in school? <laughs> and they turned to me and they said, um, half, a day, half a day, dog, half a day. I said, well, you know, it's 11 o'clock, so I'm not quite too sure what school, even at a half a day, lets you out at 11. But then I, you know, I introduced myself. I said, well, I'm the social worker here for this um, neighborhood. And these are the things I, you know, that we're doing. And, and you're more than welcome. This is my office. You're more than welcome to come over, I said, but you guys shouldn't really be um, uh, carving up our uh, our stairwell. <laughs> and they, you know, they they were, you know, when I talked to them like that, they were respectful. They put their knives away and they walked away. Now I never did see them again. Um, I was kind of hoping that maybe they would come to one of our activities, but um, I think it's really important that we do take responsibility, ownership over the kids in our community and, and even in the case where that mom, you know, got upset with you, I, I wouldn't let that discourage me. You know, I just, you know, and if, if a parent's going to get somehow, well, yeah, you just have to kind of laugh it off or brush it off or something. Right. And, that, and, and that's one of the, the, that's the, the, that's the village concept right there. I mean, a lot of us have, are forgetting that and, it's really difficult, and you did a you did a great thing, I, I think. Whenever you approach those kids, and the the way you approach it too is, that is a very uh, delicate situation. You know, when you run into that that position, and then you're in it, you're basically in a teachable moment. Mm. You have the opportunity to have these kids listen to you, and 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 you the the way you engage the situation is is very delicate. You know. Because you could have said, knock it off, you know, yeah. <laughs> you could have very easily gotten mad. But the way, I think that's another thing too, is the way you approach a situation like that. It's, it's really important to to kind of watch what you say. And just like you said, you were evaluating in your mm -hmm. head. And for me, when <laughs> whenever I run into situations like that, I do that all the time. It just hits me. It's like, should I say something? I don't know if I really want to say anything. I mean, is there people that are going to... Are they even gonna listen? And and it, it's it's very trying. I I can I hear that. I, I think we've got to speak up. I I think we've got to take the risk, and not just for our children, but you know, um, to protect those values. You know the um, those Lakota values. I think we have to speak up, and accept the consequences. Um, I think far too often um, we stay silent for fear. Yeah. And that doesn't do justice to um, our mission, our cause, which is really trying to make our communities the strongest they can be. So, you know, and we're not always going to be right. You know, sometimes when we speak up, maybe we're not always going to be right, or maybe we're not always going to have the right thing to say. Um, but I think we should, especially as men, you know, we need to take a stand on what we believe is right and and go with that stand and then deal with the consequences 
later. All right. <laughs> that's 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 great. Hey, let's take a quick break. Oh hi, you're listening to KILI Radio, ninety point one FM, eighty eight point seven FM Rapid City, www.kiliradio.com. Radio on the internet. I'm here with Fabian Kennedy from the Oyate Center in Rapid City in Manilozan, right downtown La Cotajones. Speaking with him, and I hope you guys are enjoying the interview. All right, we're back here. Uh, again, I'm with Fabian Kennedy, and I'm sorry, I, I forgot your title here at the Oyate Center. Well, um, I'm the Executive Director of the Health Education and Promotion Council which is the um, nonprofit organization that manages the center. Oh, okay. Well, that's a heavy title there. And uh, we were talking about roles and a little bit, he said, uh, Fabian mentioned that, and what, what it is to be a man nowadays. Now, one of the things that we struggle with in our communities is the man's role in our communities. It is... Quite, quite honestly, it's pretty sad. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of our men in in our communities that are that are failing to step up to the plate as their as their role. And what what do you see is the most uh, important aspect of being a man in a Lakota community? Well, I I would I would say it's the same as as my own community. Um, well. I guess at this point, after this many years, I, I do consider the Lakota community to be my community as well. But um, what I meant was um, my own ethnic culture. I think the definition would be the same. Um, and that's somebody who, uh, number one, is is going to provide for the needs of, of that family. I think that that has to be the foremost, where we are called to... Um, ensure the safety, ensure the um, sustenance of our women and our children, and we've got to take that um, as sort of our top priority. And in our communities right now, one of the things that I notice is that the roles have changed totally, because in our culture, we look at men as a hunter-gatherer in the past, in the teepee days, nowadays in our society today, what where do you see man's role? Well, I I can I can maybe shed a little bit of light on that um, because it's not just here in um, Lakota country where you have this um, issue with the man's role. I think it has to do with the fact that we. Um, as 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 a community of people who have gone through that colonization process, have forgotten what we're supposed to be doing, um, and it's almost as though you know if you look at um, our grandparents' generation, um, they they certainly did not have the same opportunities as 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 you and I do. Um, and our great-grandparents, it, it probably was even a lot worse, where I think we had to be sustained for a, a long period of time in poverty. There, there really was no options. Um, and in that poverty, I think a lot of um, dark and negative things had happened. Um, 
to, to change um, who we are in order to survive. Because behaviors that are adaptive are going to be sustained over time. Um, and so I think that somewhere along the line, um, that man's role um, was um, put into to check, almost checkmate, by the environment of, of that day. Now certainly we, we're not living in the same time as our great-grandparents or our grandparents. Right. But I think that's probably where the genesis happened um, of some of the, the that, that role um, um, shifting. Okay, so let's pretend you're in front of you're in an auditorium mm-hmm. and you have the mic and you have this slew of young men just sitting there. What do you tell them to prepare for their role in the community at, at their adolescence or even their, their pre-adult? What what do you tell these boys to do? Do they go after their education? Do they get into some technical school? Do they stay in their communities? Do they join the military? You the, know what? the same thing that we we tell we advise um, the young people here. You know, I think it it has it's a it's a bifurcated approach that we need to take, twofold approach. Um, number one, I think it's imperative that we begin to um, get the uh, dust the oral history off the shelf, so to speak. Right. <laughs> if there is a shelf for oral history, but um, um, begin to to really sit down and have conversations with our our children about um, what the cultural values are, um, and and the stories that go, the teachings that go. I think are are very important. Um, here at the Oyate Center, we try to um, bring in folks that have an understanding of um, some of the um, traditions and culture, like the foods and the the stories. We just had um, Belinda Joe in um, not too long ago, telling stories about Ohunkaka um, and all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's really conveying those stories helps um, our young people understand who they are. And then the second approach is encouraging what I would consider to be a real education. Because going to school, getting a bachelor's degree, um, getting a master's degree, and even getting a PhD does not mean that uh, a person is very well educated. It could mean that they're trained to do a set of skills um, but we're really interested in education, which means that the young person understands who they are, where they came from, what their values are, and then from that, they can make an educated decision about what they want to do. So if, you know, you know, all the kids are different. So if, if uh, we have provided, done our job, and not just us here at the Oyate Center, for example, but the, the families, the aunties, the uncles, the grandparents, if we've all done our job to educate these, these children in the ways that they need to know, then that child can decide, okay, well, I, I would love to, to use that information 
and to become a mechanic. And, and here's how. Um, I, actually, I just spoke to, to one of my former um, um, mentees, and, and he was telling me he wanted to... Well, he's a tattoo artist. Right. So he was telling me that he wanted to develop like a native tattoo co-op where he's training other folks um, how to do this skill and how he his whole grand vision was having um, um, these different um, shops on different reservations. So that you know is it, that that's him taking information and and putting it to use within his own um, perspective and, and and how that um, you know I guess how some of, of, of those teachings can 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 be put to to a modern day application. It's a process of identifying opportunity, and I think everybody knows how, everybody. Well, as far as I can, I mean, I don't have any tattoos, but I mean, <laughs> everybody likes getting ink, you know. Mm. And that's a. How do we get our kids to identify that? You know, how do they identify opportunity? Because, for example, you said that that young man was thinking about developing a a, a tattoo, a, a Lakota owned tattoo co-op because there is opportunity i mean mm -hmm. right now in in sturgis i mean if you walk along that street there are tattoo shops mm -hmm. all along that that uh that strip there because everybody who shows up to sturgis one of the things is got to get ink done yeah, yeah. you know and when you come to a reservation you notice that a lot of our men there have ink mm -hmm. so that I mean how do you get i mean looking in other directions besides getting a tattoo or whatever but how do you get kids to identify that opportunity well it's it's of course you know our organization we try to um gently push them towards uh the sciences and 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 and, and, and those kinds of things but um when a child identifies i guess something that they want to do um, we don't discourage it, and and um, there's been other examples similar to that that I, I guess I could give you, but I, I think when you provide a child with a comprehensive, well-rounded education, they naturally start thinking about these things on their own. Hmm. Um, and, and again, it, you can get an MD, and you can be a trained, you know, trained to do a set of skills that doctors do without really being educated. So it's really about providing um, each individual with a real comprehensive education where they understand all the possibilities and let them make their own their own decision. Of course, um, I'm a sociologist, so if a child comes in and says, I want to be a sociologist, I'm going to be ecstatic about that. <laughs> and I'm going to say, "My yes, we need native sociologists or we need... Um, um, black sociologists but if a child says well I, I want to develop a, a, a tattoo co-op or I want to I want to have my own um, mechanic business I'm going to be just as ecstatic I'm going to say well done you know that's a very good plan and then I think from that point is, is mobilizing and, and helping to give that person ideas about how they could actually accomplish that task we need all of that you know in our in our community so how do you get adults to basically, I mean, in essence, like I said, uh, I mean, whenever you 
see that child come to you just like you said i mean mm -hmm. i saw your face light up i mean yeah sociology i could care <laughs> less you know uh but how do you get adults to fall into that role model um into that uh th they basically got to take the lead how do you, how do you explain to adults that in order for these kids these young adults to to develop the competence uh competency to want to do this how do you get these how do you put how do you how do you bridge that gap you know how do you mediate that it, it's hard you know i'm i'm a i'm a father uh, um and you know i work sometimes long hours more than i should and so it it is hard um but the thing about it is it it's really the word is discipline i think and it's taking the time to to really sit down with your children and provide that education now one thing i i'm gonna really put myself on the limb really way on the limb um but you know um and please don't be mad <laughs> but um i'm gonna say i've i've i've, I've heard a lot of um parents and generally older older uh folks that um that might speak the language and they'll really get on their children and their grandchildren and they'll say why don't you speak or why don't you know this or why don't you know that but honestly if you think about it a child doesn't determine what language he or she's going to speak and a child doesn't really determine what values he or she's going to practice in the home it really comes one directional that kind of that kind of information that intergenerational information it really comes one directional and it's from the top from the older generation it has to be passed down to the younger generation so i would say that for me i do make time to to tell my kids stories and um i do make time to go over the teaching explain why do we believe the way that we believe whenever my um, children go to ceremonies I explain to them either beforehand or afterwards what these things are about, why they're doing this, um, so that um, when I'm gone, they'll remember, um, well, Dad said, this is why we're doing this. And I think that really has to happen um, in order for our children to internalize the values and the teachings and the culture and the language. Um, and so, so your question is, what do we need to do? And it's really carve out the time um, every day. Um, if it can't be every day, then you know, carve out the time several times a week when you're going to be giving this information. Um, if if your goal is to maintain the Lakota language for the future generations, it's very important. No matter what language you're trying to 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 convey to a child, it's important that you speak to that child in that language. Otherwise, when they're 18, you can't magically expect them to, to know it. And I say that with, with um, humility, and I apologize <laughs> for how it may sound, but I, I really believe that. And so if you're going to you know, say, what do I want to say, um, having lived here for so long and, 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 and seen these things, th that's what I would say. I know you're... Uh, you're um you're trying. You're, we were talking once before about language, and 
I was telling you that uh, one of my favorite words in Lakota is uh, yesterday, you know, you know, <laughs> I just like that, you know, that goro or that that goro, but that um, um, I like that word. What in your pursuit of language, mm-hmm. because I know there's not very many uh, men that are that are language speakers, and I know you're not fluent, mm-hmm. but what because we're learning today, mm-hmm. what what advice would you give to somebody else? In 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 that process. Okay, this is this is this is what I, this is what I would advise. <laughs> um, um, to be aware that at the turn of the century of of the last century, night in um, at the turn of the last century, not two thousand, but the one before that, um, there were a lot of Lakota speakers who were uh, literate in both English and Lakota. Um, Ella Deloria, Ivan Starr comes out, uh, um, Peter Ironshell, No Flesh, George Sword, and some of these individuals, you know, they they went and they collected stories um, from their from their cousins, from their neighbors. Um, in Ella Deloria's case, many of you may know that um, she people were actually on the lookout for stories for her. So when she came around, they had actually had them, um, um, they, they had kind of memorized them, and then they told them to her whenever she would come around. Um, so there's literally hundreds, if not thousands, of these Lakota stories that have been transcribed by these people. And of course, um, several stories have, have also been transcribed by some of the missionaries as well. Um, but many of them just simply copied what somebody else was saying. They just wrote it down on, on paper like that, um, Eugene Buchel. And so what, what I'd recommend um, folks do is, is really look at those. Um, because the stories are they're in different categories. Like there's stories, there's historical accounts that talk about, you know, different events that were um, that happened in the past like if somebody um, you know if there was an illness in the community or if a, a battle happened or some other historic event happened they there's stories that recount those events there's stories that are um, you know the Iktomi the Ohunkaka stories um, so there's all different all different ki- kinds of, of stories and when you lay them all out, um, and after you've read, you know, like maybe 25, 30 of them, um, what it happens is it puts a mosaic of, of life, of, of how life used to be. And nobody can, nobody can trick you, nobody can misrepresent how that life was. Because um, these stories together as a collective tell a real unified message um, so you can read those in Lakota first and then you know many of them also have the English translation so one of the ways that I started to teach myself how to read was I took the uh, those Lakota stories and I took that big blue dictionary that I think everybody knows about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and I I I started reading 
you know. Um, and then the words that I didn't know, I'd make a big old long list. And I don't have time for this anymore, but this is when I was, you know, I had much more time on my hands. I took about 40 words. I'd try to, my goal was 40 words a week. And I would, um, I would learn um, 40 words. I try to make sure that it was heavy on the verbs because right. I'm not sure if you realize, but, but Lakota, the trick is the verbs. You know, that's the trick. That's the one that paints a picture, <laughs> right? Well, the, the, the verb is, 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 you know, the nouns. A lot of people know like hundreds of nouns. Yeah, people know dozens of those things. All those, but the verbs actually uh, are put the action to what's happening. Right. So, and then the verbs change. You know, one verb could change like over 30 times. Like, you know, um, you know like if you're going to say, I'm going to the store, you're going to the store, we're going to the store, we're going to the store together, you're going to the store for me, I'm going to the store for you. Those are all, those verbs have to change. And then the hardest thing, um, from a learner's perspective, for all you Lakota teachers out there, is is hearing those changes and being able to um, understand them in real time. Of course, you could record it and then play it back later, and then, yeah, I could understand that. But understanding in real time when somebody's speaking to you and acting on whatever they're saying, that's really hard. And so um, I found that the first step is really looking at those stories because unless you're really lucky enough to have somebody who speaks in your home every day. Right, and just sit there with you all the time. <laughs> sit there with you all the time. And even then, you know, it might be hard because they might not want to deal with you every, every minute <laughs> of the day. <laughs> So I would say start that, and, and, and we, if you do it like that, I think um, when you go to when you go and talk to somebody who is a fluent speaker, you're you're um, advancing your your knowledge um, beyond the start. So it's going to help you. You're gonna you're learning. The rate of your learning is going to go faster than if you came with nothing. Um, I, I believe this, and not everybody agrees, but I think that if you're going to start learning Lakota today, you got to know the rules. And knowing the rules um, is um, will also help speed up the learning process. Now, I, one thing I will say, I'm not fluent, but I'm a rules master. I know all the little <laughs> rules. I, well, let's hear the rules, Fabian. <laughs> Subject, object, verb. Subject, object, verb. Yes, some people say, well, the language is back backwards. It's not really backwards. It's subject, object, verb. So if, if, if you're going to say, um, 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 I'm going to Rapid City. I'm going to Rapid City. You would say, um, well, in that case, it's subject, object, verb. But if there's, if there's no independent subject, then it's object, subject, verb. When the, you know, when the verb... Um, 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 changes. Right. So it'd be mini lose ha otuma he meningte. Ekta meningte. Mini lose ha otuma he ekta meningte. So mini lose ha otuma he rapid city. Ekta is the the two, the preposition two, and then meningte is I'm going. So if you if you kind of set it up, subject object verb, um, or the boy has the ball. Hokshila ki tapa yuha. Yeah. You know, the boy, tapa is the ball, yuha 
is to have subject, object, verb, basic sentence. And then you can spice it up. The boy has the blue ball. And you can spice it up again. The tall boy has the blue ball. Or you have you know he will have and you can spice it but it's subject object verb yeah because as soon as you learn <laughs> the possession oh it gets fun yeah. <laughs> yeah. as soon as you learn the possession i mean that 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 nia mia you know all of that really yeah. gets um, i mean i i drive down the road all the time and i'll, I'll put sentences together mm-hmm. and that's one of my favorite things to do and I um I call my boy on it sometimes and it, it, it's just a process you know mm-hmm. I mean and but that's fun you know I mean whenever you're going down the road that you're like I put it together then you can't wait to try it yep that's and, that's and, one. and I I um talk to my kids in Lakota I do and uh, it, the funny thing about me is that I you know um our Jamaican dialect it's hard for me to do it. Out, you know, it's hard for me to speak, and people say, "Say that in Jamaican for you know for me," and I can sometimes, but I'm not always. I'm not consistent, so um, of course I can understand. Um, we call it Jamaican patwa, but um, I'm not always consistent because I don't hear it. Um, when I went to D.C., you know, to go to graduate school, um, and then people said, "Well." And how would you say this in Lakota or even remembering the English accent? It was hard after I was there for a while. I couldn't remember, you know, how people here would say things. And so it's kind of like that with me, you know, being all the way out here. Sometimes it's hard for me to, you know, remember how. Um, but I do speak to my children um, as much in the Jamaican Patwa dialect um, as I can. And I always make sure... I, I, I play the music for them and then um, also try to speak to my kids in Lakota like especially you know in the morning when I kicked up or you know um, or at bed when you know and they know what that means if I tell my son he knows or he knows sit down and don't say nothing just chill out so yeah I mean I, I, I get that totally you know, I yeah. go, I, 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 yeah. I go. it's one of those things. Um, all right, well, uh, that's the top of the hour right there, and uh, I guess I should uh, conclude our conversation here with Fabian Kennedy. He's, uh, I forget your title. <laughs> the Director of Health Education and Promotion Council. All right. And Title, titles don't really mean too much. You know, we're all... Here, if you come up to the to the center, which I, if you live in many uh, uh Rapid City, I really encourage you come check out the center. We've got all kinds of activities for people of all ages, and you know there's really no when you come in here there's no there's no boss here. You know we all have our own area, and um, and so just come on over. We have a beautiful community garden. We've got all kinds of We've got programs for youth, not just one, but we've got several programs. We've got a nice young adult program that actually conveys some of the, those cultural values and attempt to strengthen families. Um, so I just, you know, encourage 
you all to come. We have our family fun night, which is going to be um, the 23rd of this month, where we're going to have all kinds of activities and you know different uh, organizations in Rapid City coming. We'll have the bouncy castles for the kids. They love that. Um, barbecue and all that stuff. So, All right, you're invited. Join us. Well, uh, thank you, Fabian, for taking the time out of your day to talk with me. Uh, this has just been a small interview. Uh, there will be a series of these, and I'll definitely be back to talk with Fabian more. All right, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>